You're listening to And welcome to the 39th edition of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yeh, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian American Just You. What up, Just? Hello. Uh, everything is up, but hopefully, you know, fingers don't want to jinx nothing. But today, <laughs> we're recording on Tuesday is the last day of Cheeto Monster. <laughs> so cautiously optimistic. By the time you hear this episode, we will be in entering the era of the 46th president of the United States and hopefully a better world. I mean, very, very tempered expectations, but like at least uh, <laughs> at least some semblance of 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 knowledge. One can experience. only hope. How's it over well, there, guys? Let us know. <laughs> also joining us, uh, professional culture editor Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey. Talking to future us. Yeah. Hopefully we're we're happier ish. Huh. <laughs> Can you believe I mean, we keep saying this, but like we made it. We made it through four years. It seemed impossible when it first started. Did it. That makes me really sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're obviously very lucky, very privileged, all things considered, and there were a lot of people who did not make it. And that's true. It's it's a it's a it's a fucking tragedy and it's a fucking shame and you know what? Fuck that guy eight ways to hell where he belongs. Yeah. It's tempting to say that it's all over, but Oh, it's not. It's not. No, 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 no not at all. It's not over even even if we eliminate the one main guy, like <laughs> all this other stuff grew up around him and that just means that maybe there will be someone else who's smarter who comes along. Yeah. You know that, and uh, it's not like Biden, some like great, lib- you know, like progressive. Liberal. Oh no, no, no! He's like yeah. a moderate Republican. He's <clears throat> the very uh, the essence of compromise. Like we had to compromise a lot of what we wanted. Yeah, I am very <laughs> excited of being able to hate Biden again. Yeah, in a normal fashion, like just having president that you can criticize in a normal way, and yet yet not fear for your life. You know, that's true. Good time. You know, that old Chinese curse. Um, may you live in interesting times being like, I hope your life is fucked up from now on. I think we're in those interesting times right now. I think someone cursed us back in the day. Oh, God. All that all that fucked up like American shit I did. My ancestors finally had enough and they're like, <laughs> fuck this bitch. We gotta make her life interesting now. Oh. Yeah. I would like to have boring times. Yeah. That's all we want. Just boring times. We're watching our boring shows and talking about our boring pop culture remember those days we my, know too my, much now it's like the box has been open and you're like ah fuck i mean maybe if you take me back to like Yu-Gi-Oh saturday mornings that's true we've been cursed by experience and cynicism and you know this is what it means to grow up just welcome to adulthood let me just say, I once won a Yu-Gi-Oh! dual disc from one of those WB Saturday morning cartoons giveaway, and like life really peaked at that moment, and it has been downhill since. <laughs> oh, well, the interesting times continue. We're here today on this episode of Good Pop to talk about the um, latest, I guess, what you call it, like the latest prestige Asian American film? Yeah, I guess since um, The Farewell, perhaps? Yeah. Minari, which is the 2020, I guess, standout Asian American film from the Sundance Film Festival, um, is being released um, soon. Yeah, I think February 12th, technically, although there are probably many other options for people to see it earlier. Yeah. And the three of us have managed to um, watch the film by now. Um, Just watched it at... Did you watch it at Sundance, Jess? I missed it at Sundance. I got an early screening sometime last year, back when we could still... You could go still go to places. So it was like a small private screening in in a theater. And it was very oh. fun watching it on a big screen. But it's beautiful. You know, it's it's, a, it's very like, it's like real life Miyazaki vibes. There's a lot of swaying grass <laughs> scenes, which is beautiful. And I, I love, uh, this bitch loves grass. Yeah. So <laughs> it was really nice. It's a slower, 
quieter movie in some parts. Um, not I don't think it veers into like the deep, like indie, like, oh my God, like this is like drag they're dragging out a moment like for far too long. It's a nice balance. Yeah. It was really nice watching it in theaters. Mm, I wish I saw it in theaters. I wish I saw it with community, because that would have been like the ideal place to watch this. Um Han, you saw it last year as well, right? Not at all. I saw it today. Oh wow. <laughs> oh. I I am a part of uh a few critics groups and so i get screeners and so i fortunately got this as a uh, physical screener and so i could watch it on my tv which is the second best thing to an auditorium i guess at this point so nice. i didn't at least have to watch it on my computer yeah i got to watch it last week as part of the um, korean american day um screening how did everyone get uh, invited to this and not me <laughs> i don't know I'm not even but sure how you, I got invited. Korean? Kate, was that you Do guys? Do you know or? how many Koreans? They reached, A24 reached out to a lot of people. So we did not handle our own RSVPs because capacity. Like we gave our allotment to like another group. Right. Um, But like, I think some of them did it like publicly. You just have to like RSVP in time. And they all yeah. had their yeah. own like. It basically mirrors our um, current LA County vaccine rollout. We're like, we're just going to throw it out there in like 80 different <laughs> ways and good luck. Yeah. And yet somehow I missed it. <laughs> I got an email. I was like, well, I'm not Korean, but I'll watch Minari. Sure. Yeah. Because uh, a, a friend of mine, a uh, Korean freelancer I have in Kentucky, of all places, uh, watched it for Korean American Day. And so I was like, wait, how? What? <laughs> <laughs> the, that, that same screening because it had um, Sandra O oh in the Q&A. Yeah, right? there was a Q&A. And, um, and I heard was, people like, cry. Yeah. Oh, they all cried. Sandra O oh started crying. Stephen Yeun started crying. And it was just tears everywhere. It was amazing. I mean, Koreans got a lot of feelings, guys. So <laughs> it might be repressed sometimes, but there's a lot of feelings. Well, we're going to talk all about this great film. Um, spoiler free. So for all of you who still have yet to watch it, um, needless to say, I think we all enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to, to talking about it with you. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is beginning us through the week. Uh, Han, start with you. What's popping? All right. So I've been meaning to read this book for a while. It came out in 2019. <laughs> And um, it's been on my list and I just never got around to it. And then Vox put it on as their um, book club choice. So I was like, OK, this is the the incentive I have, you know, impetus. So I was like, OK, I finally read it. And it is called Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Moore. Uh, she is, I believe, from a Kiwi. And um, basically the tagline that anytime anyone recommended it to me was like lesbian ne necromancers in space. Mm. Um, and I actually stopped there and decided not to read any more about the plot because I was like, everyone kept saying that it was just so different and so wild and whatever. And I kind of just really wanted to take it like and get surprised. Um, and I was. And uh, so I will tell you a little bit about, about the plot beyond lesbian necromancers in space um it's basically um in this sort of galaxy where there are nine houses and each of the houses um have necromancers so those are like basically people who deal with uh death and magic and um and then each uh of the houses let's see has a head necromancer and um, they get invited to this sort of central location um, and they each have to bring their cavalier. So it's kind of like they're the head magician with their knight and they go to this big house party and then it ends up being like a murder mystery. But there's magic and it's sci-fi, but it's also a lot of it's just super crazy in certain ways. The the lead um, cavalier, Gideon, she is um hilarious like it It took me a while to kind of get the sense of humor because at first i was like i don't know what's going on between anyone um and there's the, the names are kind of like outrageous kind of li like you know in fantasy novels how they have the listings of the houses and the characters and their roles and you're like there's no way i can keep this straight but by the end you definitely do and um it's it's actually really funny there are moments when <clears throat> there are just random puns that people make um, that I very much enjoy. Uh, it's it's very slangy, um, along with the sort of uh, elevated fantasy language also. So it's kind of a mix of several different genres. Uh, I, I think if you can, it, it took me actually 
through one fifth of the book for me to really kind of get into it. So just sort of a warning, like um, it's I don't want to say it's a slow burn. Some people loved it from page one. But for me, it just took me a while to care about the characters. Um, But after I finished it, I was just like, you know, I have a lot of affection for some of these characters. And a, a few of the phrases like really stood out to me. So um, it's a trilogy. The second book's already out. I'm going to, I just ordered that for myself. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But I highly recommend it if you want something different and just totally, it ends up being more fun than perhaps literary. And um, yeah, it's a lot of action. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So, um, I, and I'm kind of glad that I stepped out a little bit from my, you know, like rom-com, <laughs> <laughs> historical romance and YA sort of uh, zone. Um, so anyway, but on a different tack, what's popping with you, Jess? I caved and because it seems like everybody in my life was already watching this without my prompting. But I binged. Bling Empire, which is the new reality show featuring Asian peoples on Netflix. I think it's, you know, the Netflix of, of it all and the global distribution and the shady algorithm. Who knows if it's really top 10 or Netflix just wants to push it up there. We don't know. But it is a good trashy time and I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's really fun because I like don't like... <laughs> This sounds bad, but like I don't care about anyone on this show. So it's very fun to just be like hate or enjoy with a guilty, guiltless pleasure. There are some characters I thoroughly enjoy. I think Anna, who is like the I guess she's like an heiress from like a weapons fortune. She's great. (laughs) It sounds sounds dubious, but she's great. She like does not care. And she's actually very mellow. For a woman with that much money. She's awesome. I like her. Like, I I feel like with that much privilege, um, she could have been worse. Yeah, I like honestly hope that that's like the kind of rich person I am. If I ever got like billions of dollars, like I'd be kind of chill about it and like just treat my friends to a lot of nice things. Um, But she's great. In the first episode, she says something like, there ain't no dick that good. <laughs> In relation to like, the, there's a one of the storylines is like essentially what is an abusive relationship. One of the main characters is um, working through with her boyfriend, who sucks and is a piece of shit. He's horrible. Fuck also, that guy. He was a Power Ranger. Like, dude, you could do better than a Power Ranger. Do you know how many like Power Rangers I know that are not shitty people? Like, at least get a Power Ranger that isn't a piece of shit. Wait. I had a roommate who was a Power Ranger. Like of all the Power right? Rangers, that's like the lowest the barometer of fame. Like if like we know several <laughs> Power Rangers in our like daily life. If you live in LA, you have met someone who was a Power Ranger. Like please pick a better one, Kelly. You deserve better. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's just like kind. It's kind of like I feel like this is like the equivalent of sports for people who don't like sports. Like people you can root for you're following storylines you're just like getting mad or happy on the screen um so it is very entertaining and still surprisingly there are some pretty interesting kind of groundbreaking portrayals in this that sounds ridiculous but they show like asian women going to therapy and they talk about fertility and there's always this like they kind of delve into the expectations of like an like a Chinese marriage. They're mostly Chinese uh, of Chinese descent. I think Kim is like Viet. Um, But, you know, there's like a storyline about fertility issues and just like, that's also like a whole nother fucked up storyline where like the men are trash. Um, But it is the reality that I think people live through that Asian American people live through, Chinese American people live through and wealth doesn't necessarily absolve you of some of those issues or in many cases, it just makes it worse. So, yes, do we need more than model minority shit? Yes, but you know, we also deserve to be trashy, fun people. <laughs> Let's we want the spectrum. So, I caved. It's a good time. Check it out. If you don't like it, I'm not going to be offended. Yeah. It's not I, for everyone. I have to say I don't love it, but uh, I do appreciate the times when there's just like natural sort of like Asian stuff in there that people may not realize like one of the people was a a pop star in Japan right and then um 
And that's such a that's such a thing. And her look is just exactly right. And then there's the plot line, like you're saying, there's a Viet character, Kim, and she's like a DJ. And um, there, yeah, there's just certain things. There's an autumn, autumn, was it Harvest Festival thing? Um, and just other little stuff that I appreciated just seeing because we don't get to see it. So, but yeah, I guess I'll finish it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fine to have, I watch it like in the background as I'm doing other stuff. Yeah. It's like the perfect yeah. thing. It's it's pretty brainless. Um, it's a multitasker. I do really love, other than Anna, I do really love Kane. I think he's delightful. I would be his friend as well. Kane, so yeah. Those are the, I agree. Kane and Anna are the best ones because they kind of cut through the bullshit. Um, so check it out. It's on Netflix. You probably already have Netflix. <laughs> Marvin, what's up with you? All right. So um, over the weekend, I had a little bit of a I got sick, not COVID, but, you know, other health stuff. So I was ended up in bed for a lot of the weekend up until yesterday. I'm still about 90 percent right now, but. It gave me a lot of time to, you know, lay in bed and play with my new iPad. Um, my I used to have an iPad 2 that lasted me almost 10 years. Um, it finally died last year. So my girlfriend um, got me a new iPad <laughs> for Christmas. And so broke it out, started using it, um, and just spent a lot of time playing gotcha games. Um, but I also started loading it up with um, apps. So, you know, put on the Netflix, the Hulu, all of the streamers that I now have um, access to. And then also loaded up the Crunchyroll app because it's been a while since I got my anime fix. Um, so I caught up on a couple shows um, from the last season um, that just wrapped up a couple weeks ago. Um, and one that I actually had a good time binging was, uh, it's called Tonikaku Kawaii um, or Tonikawa. And it's a fun rom-com about, basically the, um, it's a fun, it, and it's a fun, just like sweet rom-com that is just like a light show to enjoy. Um, the story is about a, Basically, a girl rescues a guy from a traffic accident, and the guy decides to ask her out on a date, and she says yes, but only if you marry me first. And so, <laughs> the story that is escalated about so quickly, <laughs> right? The whole entire series is a subversion of typical anime rom com tropes, where instead of taking twenty four episodes to get up to a kiss and maybe like a hug, they just get married right off the bat and spend the rest of the series discovering like couple stuff to do. So is it like a marriage, a convenience storyline where they get to know each other as they're already committed? Kind of, except Ooh, without the connotations of that contract. Like they, they seem to be attracted to each other. Um, there is a little bit of mystery because the girl may or may not be Kaguyohime, the moon goddess. Um, but that's <laughs> kind of in the background and they don't really dwell on that. It's just in the background for to drive people who try to pay attention to conspiracy theories crazy. Because the whole story is mainly about them kind of discovering like, oh, if you're a couple, if you're married, that means you can hold hands without any repercussions. And oh, kissing's great. Let's do it all the time. Like by the time of the <laughs> like the fourth episode, they've already kissed like 10 times in the <gasps> series, which is unheard of in like what? a rom-com anime, right? Um, yeah, it's called Tony Kawa. It's available only on Crunchyroll. It's one of their exclusives. So you have to have Crunchyroll to watch it. But um, if you're looking for a good time, check it out. Um, other than that, just spend the rest of the weekend sleeping, really. That sounds great. Oh, not when you're <laughs> sick. Managed to watch Minara before that, so I'm ready to talk about it. And yeah, so um, yeah, let's get to it. That's what's popping for this week. Uh, when we come back, we're talking all about Minari. Look around. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club, um, Minari is the new film by Lee Isaac Chung, 
starring Steven Yeun, Han Yeri, um, Yong Yeon Jung, Alan Kim, and Noel Cho that premiered at Sundance in 2020, almost a year ago to this date. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, when you put it like that, that's depressing. <laughs> it's um, like The Farewell for 2019. Minari was the 2020 like Asian-American film of the festival played to great acclaim at Sundance. And now it's finally seeing its release in a couple of weeks. And yeah, we're excited. Um, Minari is about the Yi family, a Korean-American family that moves from California to their new plot of land in rural Arkansas in search of their American dream, where Jacob hopes to grow Korean produce to sell to vendors in Dallas. Um, the family deals with adjusting to their new life in their new um, town, and the kids have to adjust to their grandmother uh, moving in from Korea for the first time to live with them. It's half coming-of-age story and half-immigrant um, would you say it's an American it's not, it's dream a, story? Yeah. 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 It's too much early days to be American success story, but yeah. reaching for the American dream. Jess Han, what did you guys think of Minari? I have to say I, I kind of went in trying not to know anything about it. So I was pretty pleased um, because I remember putting it off and putting it off because even though I really want to watch it, I was kind of scared because I'm like, these days I can't take anything too hard and and depressing <laughs> well and, I mean, you know, sundance films tend to be sad right especially when it has to do with immigrants right well it's also asian films often deal with trauma because like so many of the reasons why we're here ha- usually has to do with war right um unless it, like especially if it's more like korean vietnamese uh storylines because those those wars are probably the most recent um, as far as American involvement and stuff like that. So I was kind of braced. But, you know, a friend of mine told me, like, actually ends up kind of hopeful. Uh, and so I was like, okay, okay. So I watched it and I was very pleased with it because even though you do have to see them go through some trials when it comes to trying to create this wonderful life and um, for their kids and themselves and, you know, they have to do some menial tasks, you know, uh, it's uh, what I really liked about it was the time they kind of spent with the actual just interactions with the family members. In particular, um, the kid, the young kid, uh, his c- character's name is David. Um, he's played by, I think, Alan Kim. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's mm-hmm. pretty adorable. In particular, his relationship to the grandma who comes over is felt really true to me because I don't know how many of us have had to live with our grandmas and especially if they are fresh um i don't want to say fresh off the boat but fresh from another country there is that language barrier there's that culture barrier he at some point he kind of complains that she smells like korea and i definitely felt a lot of those sort of things and so there's almost like a combative relationship at first until they get to an understanding so um, that was probably the thing I appreciated the most. It was also just a gorgeous film. And I think the acting was phenomenal across the board. Yeah, yeah, everyone was really strong. I mean, I think everyone, I don't know. I think I think it's like well known in the mainstream that like Steve Yeun is like a fucking phenomenal <laughs> actor. Um, I think he's still a little overshadowed by like the Glenn Rhee of it all. But, you know, his projects that he's chosen post um walking dead have all been really really interesting and he basically like had to like brush up and get like fluent in Korean, like like native fluent in korean to do burning right and then he's speaking basically all in korean in this film he's phenomenal but my favorite part of the movie was actually han yuri who plays his wife to me i actually think she is the most interesting character i actually think she's the hearts in in the, the heart of the movie's main character the main protagonist She's the one who has to undergo the most interesting journey. Like, Steve Young's character is very set on his dreams. He knows exactly what he wants. Nothing's going to stop this guy. She's kind of like the reluctant, dubious wife. I think that role or that trope can be so easily a, a, a caricature or like a, you know, I think we've seen versions of this where she's like a battered woman an emotionally abused woman kind of like a weak woman and she's none of those things like you can very much see her fighting it's about a lot of it's about their marriage and their um conflicting desires right and their conflicting ways of how they want to achieve this american dream and i just thought her performance was phenomenal and it's always fun for me when an american audience gets to discover a non- 
<laughs> English speaking actor who's very good. And I think anyone who's like grown up watching non-English cinema, whether that's Chinese or like even like French stuff. And there's always a easier crossover for the European white stars, right? Like Marion Cotillard has a pretty fucking heavy accent, but it's sexy. But, you know, that that same privilege is not extended to some really phenomenal actors coming out of Asia. So if you're willing to read subtitles, which I think more and more people are, you get some pretty fantastic you get to watch some pretty fantastic acting. And, you know, it's been less than a year since Parasite won <laughs> Best yeah. Picture. And I think people are starting to realize, I think Han Yuri kind of definitely, like, she was, I've never seen her before either. And I just thought her performance was great. And I don't like kids. And Alan <laughs> Kim's role did not piss me off. Usually if there's a kid in the movie, I was like, I hate this kid. I hate this movie. I mean, he did kind of piss me off because he was so mean to the grandmother. But he was so cute, though. <laughs> but he didn't piss you off because he was being precocious. He pissed you off because his character was actually his, the actions like being he took. being yeah. a terrible yeah person. But like <laughs> you know, like it's a fine line between like it's like a mix of like is the kid actually a decent actor or do you just find them annoying or is their character yeah. annoying and are they just ugly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought he was understated for all the things he had to do, and I think that's good for acting. You know, like. If you can convey what you need without being like mugging and like, because, yeah, mm -hmm. I find a lot of kid actors like really over the top um, or they're trying to be precocious and cute. And I'm just like, it just seems so fake <laughs> to me. Um, but yeah, I'm going to steal that look to the the little shorts with the cowboy boots. Mm -hmm. That's a look for post quarantine fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed Benari as well. Um, I thought it was the kind of immigrant story that we need more of right like about the struggle for a better life about overcoming obstacles to obtain the american dream but like we said it's not about like oh because you have an american dream you'll succeed right it's not a story about success it's not about like oh coming from rags to riches it's about a family trying to survive and finding the best opportunity and kind of being in this new place and i really enjoyed like when part of the reason why i was a little hesitant like han to to dive into it because you know, we've seen so many of these stories where like Oh, immigrant family moving to the South. This movie is going to be about racism, about how the racist things that they run into. And I was really happy to see that there really wasn't a lot of like overt racism, right? There was racism, um, but nothing that was like in your face. Like there wasn't people calling them derogatory terms. Like the most overt racism was the innocent childish stuff, like a girl literally ching chonging at the daughter Anne, but like in a innocent way or like, yeah it was a very curious way not and and i'm doing this because i think your language is funny way yeah um, and i feel like the isaac chung is kind of messes with you a couple times when like there are situations where it could veer racist but it doesn't and i kind of enjoyed those parts yeah, yeah. i was I, so i was braced because we've seen so many of these these movies where it's these clash of cultures that I think we're it's programmed into us when you see sort of like a redneck talking to an Asian, you're just like you start feeling that sort of get out vibes. And that happened in the movie, but the guy ends up being like, OK. And so I was just like, calm down, Han, you know, watching this. I was like, this is not that movie. So it was very much appreciated that it wasn't that movie. Yeah, I think it was very I mean, it is based off. Lee Isaac Chung's own life. I believe his father, he, his father and his family, like, did this. They moved into like the middle of nowhere to try to farm. And I think that allowed the story to avoid a lot of the typical trappings of that immigrant story. Cause we don't get to see the rural, like, farm thing. We get a lot of like urban, like, we're moving here, like, we're going to find a job in urban settings or, um, I, I, like I can recall some of those. I don't I can't recall another like specific like the context is so specific. Like we're moving to farm. And so much of this movie is just about farming. And I learned a lot about farming. <laughs> and now that I'm like deep into Stardew Valley, I was like, yes, yes, I too understand because I too farm <laughs> digitally on my grandma's plot of land. Yeah. I mean uh yeah. I mean it put into context the importance of just access to water. That's something you don't think about, especially in California and Los Angeles, where we steal most of our water 
from everywhere else. Um, that's neither here nor there. It's just um, L.A. water history is a very interesting urban, like development, political conspiracy. crime tale. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go watch Who. For, oh, no, sorry. Not Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's that's about the dismantling of our public transportation. <laughs> uh, Chinatown, which. Or not. Dubious. Roman Polanski <laughs> directed. But Chinatown is like the kind of definitive, like water conspiracy drama about los angeles Interesting. yeah has yeah. no chinese people in it though just <laughs> let's just, be clear yes yeah i did appreciate that steven Yeun's character jacob um jacob yi has his dream to start a farm to grow asian vegetables for the korean population in like the south and you know this is coming off of the uh, padma lakshmi taste the nation episode yes. where we you know visited a chinese produce farmer in san francisco which um, I believe, Jess, you thought he was hot, right? Yeah, he's he was so hot. attractive. <laughs> I follow him on Instagram too, and he like says very lovely things and like you know very black lives, very pro Black Lives Matter, and very like culturally like sensitive. And I'm like, I love you. I try to like hook him. I like literally bought a box of his CSA box and got my friend pick to pick it up and drive it down on her way to L.A. And I was like, if you see him, give him my single friend's number. You are exactly her type. I tried to make it happen. Did not work. <laughs> but I tried. Yeah. It's interesting because you don't only really think about where your Asian vegetables come from at the Chinese supermarkets. And thinking about like how different cultures do use different kinds of produce. Like The title of the film is Minari, which I looked it up. And Minari is the Korean word for water spinach, which is a quintessential like Asian side dish. This did make me really appreciate like what I have because I believe this movie takes place in the 80s. And there, so it's a few decades before I grew up in the Singapore Valley. Very lucky. Always had access to Chinese food. <laughs> Chinese produce was not a problem. But man, could you imagine like coming in the 80s and you don't got shit? Like when she, when the grandma, there's a scene where like the grandma brings, when she moves to Arkansas and she like takes out a suitcase, just cram full of like Korean pantry items. And the mom starts like crying. I was like, dang, I feel very lucky I, right now. I, I do have to say probably part of it is also their location. Cause in, as a child of the eighties myself, <laughs> um, and I lived in Houston, so we had plenty of Asian things um, and markets and things like that. So maybe in California, they might have more access. Um, I don't know if in the 80s, that's the only thing. But yeah, all, the bringing of particular, I think it was chilies and I think anchovies that she brought in huge plastic bags, all the plastic bags, uh, very much like just the the packages that go back and forth between america and the uh and the home country it just for me it always i remember packing those things when i visited vietnam like bringing extra luggage just to bring all those things but then also back you know so there's there is very much that thing where it's like some certain flavors and foods and the things you can only get in that other country or maybe it's just better there because you're kind of <laughs> oh, dealing with a yeah. different environment here so yeah I will say my parents are so hardcore about this. They grew up in Shanghai, which has a river, a freshwater river that leads into a tributary. And they are like very adamant that they're like species of seafood that only live and exist in this region that's better than anywhere else. Specifically, these small shrimps. Marvin knows what I'm talking about. The little small bay shrimps. <laughs> So they have designated shrimp Tupperware that they take to China and they usually go once a year. And like 12 hours before their flight, they will literally stir fry shit tons of bay shrimp, <laughs> package it in this Tupperware and cart it back home. They bring home cooked seafood. And then it's like this like mad rush to eat all of it before it goes bad. And I'm just like, this is insane. But, you know, it brings them so much joy. And I'm happy for them. I mean, part of it is not re remotely as crazy as that. Like, but I feel like certain Vietnamese food tastes better in Houston. And so uh, often when people are like, what's the best Vietnamese food in L.A.? I'm like, there's not. Um, I mean, <laughs> you can go to Little Saigon. And of course, there's some food, in, uh, Vietnamese food in um, the San Gabriel Valley. 
But like Little Saigon is supposed to be where I'm supposed to get all of my good Vietnamese food. But I'm like, first of all, it's an hour plus away from me. But so I just usually go home to Houston, visit my family and eat eat all the Vietnamese food there. And then, of course, my mom always tries to pack so much food with ice packs for me on the way back. And I'm like, you're not allowed to bring this much, you know, because like I've I've gotten food confiscated before, <laughs> um, no. which is horrible. And then, of it's course, like the my worst. mom's like... Like, I'll just write, write the recipe. And I'm like, I'm not going to make this massive amount of stuff for myself. Um, so I just, yeah. But now, of course, since I'm not traveling to Houston because of pandemic, I have to say I'm very much missing those flavors. And I, I would also cry, I think, if someone brought me boxes of food. <laughs> so you're saying that your Houston Vietnamese food uh, had to go through a stricter security process <laughs> Than the, than the, the rioters who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Got yes. it. Vietnam, Houston Vietnamese food, bigger threat to national security. Got it. Got it. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that stuff is just like un-American. All right. We've gone a while without talking about one of the other hearts of this film, which is the grandma and the relationship between the grandma and the grandkids, the grandson specifically. This was my first time seeing. And so I didn't watch Looking Grandma, so maybe that was another portrayal, but it's not often you see a Asian like dirtbag grandma, right? Like <laughs> usually Asian grandmas are more reserved, quiet, like they're the wisdom. They're like put together. They're supposed to be the pinnacle of what, you know, the old school Asian culture is. And so yeah. they seem almost a bit more remote. Yeah. While, you know, as the grandson of a grandmother who probably was kind of a dirtbag, or at least a foul mouth grandma, right? Um, that was really refreshing to see. Like my maternal grandmother, um, like I mentioned, you know, ran a pseudo gambling den in the back of her house. You know, um, I remember her always like cackling while watching TV and making like comments, and it really made me miss her because, as someone who no longer has any grandparents, like films like this probably have my number right away. And the fact that you have this grandmother who is just so full of life and just going with the flow, really. Like she probably is adjusting to this new life better than the mother is. And just watching this little kid be mean to her just like hurt my heart. But, you know, <laughs> at the same time was good acting. But I mean, um, what did you guys think of, of the grandma? I think the Asian grandma is a staple of like Asian American film. I can't recall one film that didn't have the Asian grandma. It's like a big major theme in all these projects we've talked about in the past. Um, and I just realized with this one, and I think in the recent conversations we've had, is like what a privilege it is to have that, yeah, your grandma. It's it's something that I think we all take for granted, um, both on a personal level, which I think this movie shows. I think some of it that some of the anger towards Alan Kim's character, the little boy, is that like he's a little shitty to his grandma. He's very shitty to his grandma, but we were all pretty one shitty. We we're pr all pretty. We were all probably pretty shitty to our grandmas at one point or another in our lives. And we probably all feel a semblance of guilt <laughs> and are projecting. But also, like, not everyone's grandma gets to come to the country to take care of the grandkids. Right? Like, that's not a typical storyline or narrative theme in, like, um, or, or situation in, like, you know, like, undocumented folks. Right? Or I, I don't know if it's a, you know... But so very, I think it's an interesting, um, this is the first time I've thought of it like in that, in that perspective. And I do think um, it's really nice to see, you know, Asian women of all ages be portrayed as humans and you can be shitty and you can be lovely and sweet, like in the farewell, or you could just kind of be like into pro wrestling and like Mountain Dew, <laughs> like this grandma is. Um, and I won't. No spoilers, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I. Okay, I'm gonna avoid. There's some great scenes with Grandma and and David, the the grandson. And by great, I mean memorable. <laughs> but maybe not great as in positive. Who knows? <laughs> uh, and I have to say that 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 is very much a part of kind of. Uh, I mean, I, I did have my grandma, um, grandparents, actually. Well, actually, and also my other grandma at a different point in my time um, live with me. And there is that sort of like, oh, kind of half 
sort of like they're so weird like i don't understand you why are you doing that and and like god i hope my 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 friends don't see sort of thing like that sort of not quite shame but kind of just like i just want to separate these parts of my life you know uh and yeah and and there's that kind of guilt about it so i thought they really portrayed that pretty well um the fact that you often have to share your space because david actually has to share his his room with grandma all right here's (laughs) i shared a room with my grandma till i was 10 here's the thing that is unrealistic about this portrayal of an asian family maybe it's a korean thing maybe as a chinese person i i we do things differently but if this was my family and my grandmother came to live with us or like stay with us there is no way i get the bed ahead of her like i'm on the floor and there are a few other things i would feel like the kids would have to stay together and grandma would get her own room or the sister and the grandma would have had the room together and then the boy would have had his own room so i thought that was yeah there are a few different (laughs) scenarios that it didn't make sense unless grandma likes sleeping on the floor because she also had that square pillow thing so maybe maybe true maybe her bed the bed was too soft and she's like this asian beds are harder right yeah yeah my grandparents beds were always way hard yeah i i slept in that situation um when i visited vietnam and we like my i i went with my mom and we traveled all over the place and there's this one time where she was like well here's the bed and it was basically a hard floor and then you got some blankets and then and then she was like yeah we and and it was getting really cold and she's like yeah basically you know you just sleep on the floor and you snuggle together and i was just like as an insomniac you know (laughs) this was the worst situation for me i didn't want to touch my mom all that type of stuff but it was hard and she slept fine and i'm just like i am such a soft person <laughs> to yes <have> to- <laughs> and i feel like as a as a woman of post-pubescent like body i feel like i got a lot of lumps and bumps where i cannot lie flat <laughs> like if I, if I had to lie on a purely like hard like straight level ground like there'd be a lot of places being strained because nothing's flat if for various reasons, good and bad. I'm like, how is this? How do they do this? And I know like Chinese people, at least Chinese people, they, they love hard beds. They think like a soft bed will fucking kill you. Yeah. So. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the only thing that I thought maybe that was the thing. Because it was definitely a deliberate sort of thing where you see the mom moving David's bed over to make room on the ground for grandma. So. Um, yeah. But then. There's also this thing where sometimes grandparents, well, but you wouldn't give in to this. Sometimes grandparents are just like, no, don't worry. Like, I remember when my grandfather was, um, he knew he was going to die fairly soon, like in the next year or two or whatever. So he just was like, I want to go and live with each of my grandkids for a little bit. And don't worry, you don't have to get a bedroom or anything. I, I'm going to teach myself to sleep in a chair. <laughs> just like what the hell (laughs) what um at one point also my mom slept on a pool table for a period of time so like there's a lot of this like asian older asian parent grandparent thing where they sleep on uncomfortable surface surfaces so maybe this wasn't out of the ordinary (laughs) (laughs) or maybe the kid was just such a punk that he would not give his grandma his bed this is what these are the questions we need to ask Lee Isaac Chung if like we ever run into him. It's like, Uh-oh. did you make your grandma sleep on the floor? <laughs> I mean, yes, um, David was a punk, but at the same time, it was a pretty good portrayal of like a young Asian American kid, especially one that's moving to a place where he's surrounded by white people and like probably never has to has never thought about like his Koreanness until at this moment, right? Well, they just also live in the middle of nowhere. And I think um, Anna, the sister, she's a little old. She's the older one. Oh, we can talk about that poor girl. (laughs) But she starts going to school and I don't think Alan's going yet. Right. And they kind of get some interaction through church, but they have no other kids around them. There's no other families around them. It's just them. And that like I and to move from a city where even if you may be mostly home with your family, but knowing that there are just people around you to moving into like the middle of nowhere rural Arkansas, I think is also a pretty like jarring step. So like I forgive David a little more for being a brat. All things considered, I think he's taking it pretty well. Mm-hmm. 
But that poor daughter, man, she just for, they just forget about her. She has to like take care of David and the grandma and like handle all her parents' shit. And she's just there. And like that poor girl is going to need so much therapy going forward. I would love to see the sequel of 20 years later. Anna Yee like dealing like, let's actually wait 20 years. St- uh, Lee Isaac Chung can revisit it. Steve Young can be like play old and we can age him up. He can be like the old ass Korean dad and we can explore the relationship between him and Anna as her, her as an adult woman. She's probably like some kind of college educated career woman. Basically like Tiger Tail, but like Korean. Oh, I would watch it. I mean, yeah, the kids have to deal with a lot, especially with um. there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where the parents get into a huge fight. And I feel like that's like, I don't know if if this is how all parents fight, but this is definitely how I've seen like Asian parents fight, i.e. my parents fight. And that was like that scene was super visceral. I think, you know, it, I think it triggered some like probably latent PTSD in, in, in my psyche. Um, just watching that scene and it was just acted so well. Yeah, I have to agree when it what kind of I related to with that the fight scene was like there is that sort of disconnect between the parents where I think the wife assumes that the husband's going to do certain things a certain way. And so he does his thing. And then when she finds out what he actually does, it's totally not. (laughs) And that was like my family all over the place. Um, I don't know how many times where my mom was like, after a while, she would just tell us like, your dad doesn't know how to do practical things. So like, this is also why very young, like my dad wasn't handy, you know, none of those things. He was totally an intellectual. And so after a while, I remember like my mom and then all of us kids, we kind of had to learn how to be self-sufficient. So it was like, oh, if there's, you know, a light bulb missing, you do it yourself. You don't ask dad, you know, and uh all that type of stuff. So it, 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 it happened like that a lot. So I actually have a lot of respect for the Stephen Young uh, dad character because, you know, maybe he could have communicated better, but like he really had this thing. Like he thought this was going to be great. Um, and, you know, farming is not just self-sufficiency, but like the whole dream about bringing, you know, Korean vegetables to other Koreans. Like that's just such a niche market. It's perfect. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of pride there, too. And who would have thought that, like, Stephen Young would be able to play dad so well? Oh, we knew. <laughs> we, we knew. <laughs> dad or daddy? Daddy. I was about to say zaddy. <laughs> daddy. Um, I mean, the kids def- are young, so. Yeah. And he definitely pulls off that, like, you know, the Asian, like, middle-aged man tank top. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, most Asian dads don't look like that. No, anyway, I'll tank just say, top. Let's just, let's, that is Hollywood. That's Hollywood. Yeah. He looked better um, than I think most middle Asian mm, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, honestly, like, okay, if we're going to do power rankings of Asian American cinematic couples, like, in terms of like, how functional are they in the spectrum? This um, Monica and Jacob. We've had a series of like pretty good like parental I think relationships recently, but um, this one is not like I don't think like the I think I know worse ones in like real life, but definitely that the sense of a little more maybe realistic of like the immigrant parents' experience because we see it we see I think we see it a lot from the kids' point of view, right? The second gen like our our experience we see those stories fairly often now. There's a pretty good mix of people who are like, we're here early and we're going to get the success first and then like things work out. This is like a pretty special in between of like, this is a family. So they have the kids, they're still struggling and they're still trying to make it happen. And how do you balance those? So it was nice to see like both generations going through that and how they're both taking it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, this is a portrayal that, you know, there's... Asian, the Asian diaspora in America is like very different, right? Depending on how you came, right? Did you come? Did your yes. parents come to go to school? Did your parents come to work? Did your parents come because of war, right? Like, and Jacob and Monica's story is most similar to my parents. Like, my parents came to the United States. We came to North America through Canada first. Um, that's where I was born, and then my dad um, came to America to work. We came through Houston and moved to California. And for the first, I want to say, 
10 years of my life, like we were surviving like paycheck to paycheck. Uh, my dad was looking for work. He worked retail. He worked odd jobs. Uh, my mom took a part-time job at a bank. And when I said like that, that fight was like, I felt it because my parents have had that fight where that's a situation that I don't think is that uncommon for, especially immigrant families in that situation. Yeah. Right? Working class Asian, working class immigrant families. Yeah. Um, I mean, we came here because of war, um, but that also necessitated starting all over again with work because the jobs they had, they could not get here. Um, both of my parents knew English, but it didn't necessarily mean that they had the right amount in English or the skills that are valued here to get certain jobs, especially if they don't have work experience in the United States. So they all they you know, they had to start like lower in like you know, more menial jobs. I know we, you know, the whole paycheck to paycheck thing. There were times I remember that I got used to, oh, we don't have a phone right now because we didn't pay the bill on time. Um, and I know at some point, like, I think my mom had three jobs. Uh, you know, there are three of us kids. And then also um, something I also related to in this was um, one of the kids, I don't know if it matters which, if I mention which one, one of the kids has a health issue. And um, part of the struggle with the whole trying to get the better life um, is also because there needs to be money to, you know, take care of this kid, but also diagnose and just make sure that you're giving, um, just getting the best sort of environment. And so I was that sickly kid. And um, fortunately, uh, I mean, I'm sure that also created some financial struggles, but like fortunately also my aunt who had moved over here um, worked at a uh, allergy clinic. So like I got, I'm sure I got to get some tests, you know, um, and she also happened to fill the vials of the, <laughs> the injections the for injections. So every now and then we would get those in the mail and she oh, would, shit. and she would, <laughs> that's the best hookup yeah, ever. And she, I remember like, it was one of those boxes that had like the foam little like indentations where the vials would go in. And I remember once I opened it and in one of the little indentations, there wasn't a vial. There was a little plastic baby. And I didn't know my my aunt worked there at the time. So I was like looking at my mom, like, what the hell is this? And she had to explain to me, oh, she's your aunt. I was like, how did she know? And like, this is we're going to get this box because for me, it was like magic. But yeah, so there's there's just like so many things that you don't necessarily, I guess, think about where it's yeah, there's the struggle of just even succeeding and putting food on the table. But then if they're extra, you know, expenses uh, that just creates so much more pressure on the parents. Uh, we've talked a lot about our thoughts about Minari. What I want to ask is, where do you think this, like, do you think this is a film that becomes, like, canonized as an Asian-American classic? Like, where does it sit in the growing pantheon of Asian-American cinema? I, I like this because it is, <laughs> and this will lead into our next uh, conversation, but it is quintessentially an American film. Um, it's about the American dream. It's about immigration in America. And so it's not, too much about going back and forth like the farewell was um uh and visiting the other country and of course parasite is set fully in korea but um so yeah this is so i think so important because it is that sort of in between um there the, there even when you think about like joy luck club there's a lot of that going back and forth and flashbacks to the old country so i really liked how it was super focused on being here in america and um this is clearly not also like this is clearly a film that other immigrants who are not asian will probably relate to also just like work in the land you know <laughs> so i very much i think it's gonna be i think it's it'll be remembered and because there are also so many other stories in it um that we've also talked about like the relationships and stuff like that and coming of age yeah, I hope it. I think part of part of this cementing is the post production journey and the award journey and that conversation. It's looking good, right? Um, we're hoping Steve Young gets a nomination for best actor, which would be pretty spectacular. I totally think Han Yuri deserves a a best actress nom, but we'll see. I, I don't think that. I think that's a little less likely to happen. Um, but. To me, this movie is actually it's it's this weird thing where it's so 
like specifically like Asian American and actually like nothing to do with Asian American at all. Like if you kind of stripped away the like <laughs> it, it, this like fucked up version, if you whitewashed it, right. And it was like a white fa- family, like farming the land and he took out some of the, you know, Korean elements. I think the movie inherently would still very much work as an American story, but this added element of, you know, that Korean immigrant experience, I think just makes it so much deeper and so much more special and beautiful. So I really like it. I mean, there is literally nothing more American than buying your own piece of land and trying to farm it and make money out of it. Mm-hmm. Like that is like American dream on steroids, right? Um, almost comical in the Americanness of it all. So, yeah. After watching so many Asian American films from being in this community, I think, you know, there's definitely a reason why this not only made it into Sundance, but became such a lot of film after Sundance. It's because it is, first and foremost, a beautiful film, beautifully made, and tells a really, you know, universal story by being super specific, which is, mm-hmm. you know, what we really want to see from Asian American films. Right? We don't want a lot of nudge, nudge, wink, winks. We want to see stories that really move people, but also reflect, like, experiences that we're familiar with. So yeah, I really hope that this does well in award season because, you know, that's how we validate our stories apparently in this in this society. But, you know, we're already running into certain issues. And granted, it's Golden Globe stuff, so Hollywood Foreign Press, like, they probably don't get the nuance of like Asian America as well as maybe the Academy should. I mean, the latest controversy was the fact that I mean it's the same thing that happened to the farewell, right? Instead of being nominated for best film, it's being nominated for best foreign language film, which I guess like Jess said, we're in this in-between area where, sure, this film has foreign language in it, but is it a foreign language film? Like, what does that even mean in this day and age? They just want to. They. It's more of a. It's more of a like fuck up of like classification rules. Like, because if you were to class, they used to call it foreign film, right? But technically, a British co-production would be a foreign <laughs> film. And a, um, and you know, like a like a Australian film would technically be a foreign film. So you know, it's coded as into English. It, it is is the subtext is English or non English, but the the classification's wonky. To be fair, HFPA has always had ridiculous classifications. Like this whole, like the whole comedy drama shit is wild and makes. <laughs> absolutely no sense on their features like what they classify as a comedy or musical oh you mean the great comedy Um, musical the martian yes yes because matt damon isn't i right who knows who knows you know it's a lot of politics i just think that we need to have a bigger conversation about what that all means like not just in the context of the golden globes and my question is do they also have this like weird rule where you can't be nominated for both? Because technically, if you are like Parasite was nominated for best foreign language film and best film, like that was not the problem, right? You could be nominated for both. Is the Golden Globes, you can only be nominated for one or the other? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Golden Globes has always been kind of the, the lighter awards show, right? Like the ones where like people get drunk and have fun. Yeah, and they have alcohol, but they also have the weird voting body where it's only like 76 yeah. foreign journalists. So this there's the least amount of overlap of this voting body with all the other award ceremonies voting body. So that's why the classifications, the wins come out of left field sometimes. Yeah, <clears> yeah. And they they also usually like, let's say on the TV categories, often give a a first time show some sort of like uh honor and then they never honor it again so there 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 are a few of those like wild cards when we're trying to make our predictions but yeah yeah, same thing like and then and then they also go with like things they know so yeah the hfpa is very different from the academy and i do believe you're right marvin that um the reason why people were so pissed off about this was because it is then not eligible for the best picture category in golden globes that is um so yeah and i wonder if part of that is like just the fact that i mean as someone who has been in talks with other like orgs that give awards sometimes you give awards for 
Like there's always a political element in awards and awards shows, right? And I guess this is where categories come to play because technically if you have a film that's the best film of the year, that's also the best foreign language film, shouldn't it win both? But it rarely ever does, right? Because that would be unfair because there's only one award per year. Well, I mean, is it unfair or is it? I don't know. So I mean, it, in, in the I, eyes of, yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing when it comes to awards, because besides the fact that how we pointed out the difference in the voting bodies for each of these and then the classifications, there is also that idea of what do awards actually mean. And while I personally don't care about awards, I do understand that awards mean something to um, people when it comes to how they're they're um, perceived. Uh, and and success and money so you know like if he if he you know if lee isaac chung let's say gets the oscar for this um then that makes a huge difference in the his next projects and so i while i personally poo poo the oscars because i think they make a lot of mistakes and and sometimes their voting is just like insane um i am still happy when something i like wins because i know it means a lot to their future so yeah i mean if two asian (laughs) films win back-to-back oscars i mean we're gonna see a ton of asian films in the next few years probably yeah so like as much as i don't want to care about it and i don't really like i do respect that people do care about it and so when something like this comes up it is that question like why is it a big deal when it comes to this and is it because they're being shut out of the best picture category with Golden Globes. Is it also because then they're still other otherizing, you know, this American story um, just because of foreign language, which America doesn't have an official national language. So it's, it's that perception that just because they're speaking a foreign language, they're not American, but then, yeah. So there's all this conversation around it that I very much appreciate. Whereas does it matter? I don't know. Yeah, it's so interesting that because of America's multicultural nature, things like this nomination carry just so much baggage, especially for our community who is still emerging in pop culture representation, right? Yeah, and it, it, like even among our own community, sometimes like I don't know, do your parents also not call themselves Americans? Um, when they say American, do they mean like white people? Because that's what my parents like do. And so there is that perception and I keep fighting against it that, you know, American isn't white. American isn't white um, solely, that is. And accents doesn't mean non-American. And um, I don't know how many times this has been, you know, like I remember a guy was trying to give me a compliment said that if he closed his eyes he would think <laughs> I was as American oh, as him or whatever. No, and so I no! so I remember saying, you know what? I am American as you. And he's like, no, you know what I mean. I'm like, I do. However, <laughs> no, you need to I think don't. about please. So so I was like, <laughs> I do know what you mean, but you need to think about what you're saying. And if if what you're saying is what you mean. Because I was like, even if I had an accent, I would still be as American as you. And I was just like, so think about that. <laughs> so because um, I was like, I'm a citizen. So, um, yeah, it, it was one of those where I'm like, dude, I don't want to like trash you too much. It's, you know, it's also someone like I, I didn't really know him. He just worked in the same building. So I was just like, but you know what? Like, if you're going to say that shit to me, like, <laughs> I'm going to actually tell you something. So because like, I think he was trying to pat himself on the back about like not being racist <laughs> and whatever. I'm like, no. <laughs> well. There's going to be a lot of buzz about Minari leading up to this year's award season, which is coming up. Holy crap. Yeah, the award season is going to be, um, a, I think a lot of them are going to be shifted a little bit. I am also very behind on all my predictions because I'm behind on all my viewing. Because who, it's weird, like these days I would much rather binge a TV show than watch a two and a half hour movie some, for some reason. <laughs> um, Takes too much focus to yeah. to understand what's going on in a movie. Whereas Bling Empire, no problem, right? <laughs> I get it. Rich, trashy people. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, but everything has shifted a little bit. For example, I think um, Oscars is often, you know, much earlier taking place in February. The Oscars this year is in April. So um, it's giving people more time to catch up on movies and things like that. However, already certain critics groups have announced their winners, which reminds me I probably need to vote on some of those two um and golden globes i believe is in march 
So, yeah, everything's coming up. Uh, this is the time to start watching everything. Um, a lot of things are actually on streaming right now. And if they aren't, they are going to be very soon on demand. So just yeah. start watching out for them. Including the film Inari starring Stephen Young as your new favorite dad. Han Jess, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Minari. And to our listeners, after watching Minari, let us know what you think about the film. It's definitely going to be uh, one of the most talked about films, especially in the Asian American community um, this awards season. And yeah, Jess Han, if people want to follow you guys on social media, where can they go? I'm on Twitter at Just Jude Tweets. And I am also on Twitter at Hanonymous. You can find me at Twitter at Marvin Yurt. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and check out our past episodes by going to the website goodpop.club. Thanks to the Potluck Podcast Collective, um, a collective of Asian-hosted podcasts that we're a proud member of. You can check out our fellow Potluck shows by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, Jess Han, thank you so much for once again joining me for an episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 